Guys, we've been in Romans 10, 9 for so long, I, I'm, I'm sure you're confused about where we are. And so what I did today, uh, in, in light of uh, my confusing you, is I put together an outline. An outline, it's a very simple, brief outline, but at least it'll tell you uh, a little bit where to locate ourselves. And I, and I hope, I, I mean, I really do, I hope this will help um, in terms of the, the overall subject matter. The, the Romans 10.9 is a verse um, that is basically giving you um, the, the, a, a discussion of saving faith, okay? <clears throat> uh, what we did, what I've done, is broken the text down into, well, um, well, really broken my discussion down into two halves. We didn't get into the second half yet, but we're still in the first half, talking about the content of saving faith. And um, what we've done for three weeks is look really just at the A part of that uh, concerning his incarnation. Uh, that is, the, that statement, Jesus is Lord, um, and all of that, the implications that grow out of that statement. That, that, that of course, Jesus is Lord is found in the text. Uh, but I'm, I've just summarized it with the word incarnation. We talked about his deity. We talked about his humanity. We talked about the virgin birth. We talked about the atonement. Um, what else? Oh, last week we talked about the fact of the lordship of Christ. Uh, all of that, uh, of course, having to do with the content of saving faith. Now, we've got another B part tonight in terms of content, and that's the resurrection. We'll get that. That's what we're going to look at tonight. But the, the other part of the discussion, which will happen, Lord willing, next week, has to do with the character that you must believe in your heart. We'll talk about that next week. Um, but the character of saving faith is what we'll look at next. But for tonight, we're still talking about the content. We spent three weeks just talking about this incarnation piece, really trying to um, unpack uh, that very pregnant statement Jesus is Lord. And those are the items that we mentioned in unpacking this. But all of that has to do, of course, with content. Tonight we come to this uh, another part of the content piece, in that being um, the resurrection. You will notice uh, in your copies of God's Word, it says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God is raised him from the dead, uh, you, you will be saved. So tonight we start looking at that other part of the, the other piece of the content uh, dealing with the resurrection. It's the second piece, the second large piece of content when it comes to saving faith. Now guys, um, what we're saying is that w- what we're confessing with our mouth is that we believe that there was a tomb that was uh, emptied, that Jesus had been there, but he literally, bodily, physically, walked out of that place. We, that's a part of the content of saving faith. Um, If you know anything about the book of Acts, you will know, I'm sure, that the, the earliest sermons of the apostles were all about the resurrection. They were consumed with this, this, um, this crowning piece of evidence um, 
which of course was the resurrection. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, you can you can study the book of Acts and you can see sermon after sermon after sermon uh, by uh, by Peter and Paul and the, the the major topic in all those sermons was of course the resurrection and they kept preaching it. They kept preaching it uh, throughout the the early history of the church. Um, there is no Christianity without the resurrection. Now, why? Um, it's it's not just that the Bible is is satisfied with um, with you believing that there was an empty tomb. That's not enough because the Bible says far more about the resurrection. I want to show you just three pieces of what the Bible has to say about the resurrection. It's not enough, guys. Well, I shouldn't say it like that. Um, believing that the tomb is empty is certainly a wonderful piece of orthodoxy. But there's a whole lot more at stake than just the fact that he resurrected from the dead. Let, let me show you what I mean. If you're in the book of Romans, if you can just flip over and find chapter 1. That should be easily done. But notice how this whole gospel, not gospel, this whole letter to the Romans begins in verse 3 and 4. Um, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power uh, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now guys, notice he was declared to be the son of God. How? How did that declaration take place? By his resurrection from the dead. Now, why is there no Christianity without the resurrection? Well, because first of all, the resurrection is proof of Christ's claims that he was who he said he was. That it is, in essence, a declaration that he indeed is the Son of God. Now, in addition to that, um, after the work of Christ is finished, has the penalty for our sin been fully paid? Was his death enough? Did, did God accept what he did? Um, I want you to notice in the text, back in the text itself, you will notice that it says, God raised him from the dead. You see, my point is, the resurrection is a declaration. It is a declaration about his person, and it is a declaration about God's willingness to accept his work and the completion of his work. So the resurrection is not simply a crowning piece of miraculous work. No, it is a declaration. And in that declaration, we find the declaration including the fact that he it declares him to be the Son of God, and it also declares that God is satisfied, that what he has done is enough, and that God has accepted that finished work of his. That's what the resurrection declares. Um, in addition to that, the resurrection also um, is a statement about a coming day of judgment. This is uh, stated in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, we find this statement. Because he has fixed a day 
on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Guys, that's a great text. Um, There's a fixed day on which he will judge the world. And uh, that day, he has given us assurance is going to take place. How did he do that? By the raising of him from the dead. That's Acts 17.31, if anybody's counting. But guys, the, the resurrection also is a declaration about another coming day of judgment. A promised, fixed day where he will judge the world in righteousness. How did that take place? How are we assured of that uh, taking place? Well, uh, assure, we, have, we have been given assurance, assurance to all of us, by raising him from the dead. So, guys, uh, there is also, wrapped up in the, uh, the resurrection, a promise of a fixed day of judgment. Um, it is also, that is the resurrection, is also a... Um, a promise, um, at least implied, that you and I will have our own resurrection. Uh, in Acts chapter 26, verse 23, we find these words. That the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. The, 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 what I'm drawing attention to is by being the first to rise from the dead. The implication very clearly is that there's going to be others after his, after the first one, there will be a second and a third and a fourth and, a, and more and more and more. Gang, um, the resurrection is not only a miraculous fact, but it is a, it is a picture. It is a, it is a kind. It is a, it is a type of a, of a, of a resurrection that will occur to everyone who belongs to him. Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 6 when he talks about um, you have been baptized into Christ, uh, you were baptized in his death, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So guys, all I'm, I'm, I'm simply trying to point out is that the part of the content that you ascribe to or confess that you believe is not simply the occurrence of a, of a miraculous act by which a tomb was made empty. That, that event known as the resurrection is a declaration. It's a declaration that Jesus is who he said he was. It's a declaration that God is pleased with his sacrifice. It is a declaration that there's a coming day of judgment. And it is a promise that he's the first and there's going to be more. That as we are identified in his death, we are identified in his resurrection. So, just like this statement that Jesus is Lord is packed with information and content. So is that. The resurrection is more than just an event to celebrate come the 23rd of March. It is an event that declares a whole lot. Now, um, what I want to do as we wind this up, 
tonight, before we get to the character next week, is what I'd like to do is, is give you uh, four, I think. Four lessons concerning the content. Four things that now I think are applications or lessons to be learned, uh, having examined the content that we have subscribed to. Four things that I think um, that we can say grow out of that. Number one, very simply, very clearly, no one who rejects the deity of Christ or the resurrection is a Christian. Gang, there's a lot of folks who want to put themselves in the, the company of God's people but can't quite bring themselves to uh, believe that Jesus was really born of a virgin or that, or that there really was a literal resurrection. There's got to be, because when people die, they stay dead. Gang, Paul is saying that saving faith has certain content to it. And the content is, as we've mentioned, these things plus this thing known as the resurrection. Our job is to make very clear to people what they're saying yes to, what they're, what they're, what they're subscribing to. <clears throat> you know, guys, um, today, um, the, the, the elders in the staff, well, no, the, the elders, are, are studying a uh, course, a seminary course, that's offered by Covenant Seminary, uh, I mean, you can get it too. You can listen to the same lectures we're listening to by Jerem Bars on postmodernism. It's basically uh, trying to figure out a way to reach a postmodern culture in which we live. And really, we've listened to four lectures, and they are very dark. Because postmodernism, and of course, um, the, the average Joe on the street doesn't really... Uh, call himself a, a postmodernist, um, but postmodernism as a philosophy reigns in our day. It, 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 it indeed does. And there is such a hopelessness to it. And I'm not asking you to understand this, but just take my word for it. If, if, if you're really a, a consistent postmodernist, you can't even talk. You can't carry on a conversation because words have no meaning. Uh, all of the essence of words have been empty. The, 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 the meaning of words have been subtracted. There's, every word is hollow and they mean nothing. And so we can fill those words with whatever meaning we want them to have. Thus, we've broken down any, any kind of hopeful conversation that we might have. I say that to simply say this. There is such extraordinary hopelessness that, it, that reigns in our city. I don't know whether I'm the only one in impressed by what's going on in the city of Memphis, but we have a very sick city. Um, I was with a group of preachers praying for our city last Wednesday, and and one of the preachers there uh, said this, I have never lived in a city where the citizens of that city talked so badly about their city. Isn't that the truth? Memphians don't like Memphis. Memphians want to move out of Memphis because this city is, our our political structure is just, it's, it's beyond bad. 
there's such, uh, uh, I'm, uh, what I'm trying to say is, people want something to, to grab hold of. They want to be happy, dead gummit. I'm just, I'm just tired of not being happy. So, let's just offer them happiness. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, people will, will respond to that. You want to be happy, don't you? Then come forward and get religion. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the number one need that people have is not happiness. Their number one need is to be reconciled to God. And this is the message that will do it. And you cannot subtract any of it and have a message of hope for a hopeless culture. All of this. We've got to make sure that people are very clear about what they're saying yes to. You want to live forever? You ever heard that, ever heard that song? I hope we don't teach our kids this song. It's such a terrible song. Anybody here want to live forever? <laughs> Say, I do. I mean, what fool wouldn't say I want to live forever? I mean, but gang, I'm not asking them to say I do that you want to live forever. I'm asking them, is this what you believe? Because this is the content of the message of saving faith. We must not medicate the symptoms of a hopeless culture. We must give them the gospel. Gang, there's a statement, in I, and I, it's in Jeremiah, early on, chapter 7 or so, and Jeremiah is denouncing the prophets of Israel. And he says about the prophets of Israel, they heal the wounds of my daughter Israel slightly. Gang, that means they're not healed at all. We've got to be very clear with this message. Not some subset of it. Where we decide that because we're 21st century scientific modern people, we couldn't possibly believe in something as absurd as the resurrection. I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no Christianity without the resurrection. No one who rejects the deity of Christ or the resurrection is a Christian. According to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Um, that, that's the first lesson. Here's the second lesson. Um, if all of this is true, if all of this is the content of saving faith, what does that tell me about me? If this is true, then what does that mean is true about me? <clears throat> what sort of man must I be if this is what I need? Ladies and gentlemen, the average, let me just say Christian, 
has not yet realized just how wicked we are still. Tonight. Um, there, there's got to be a blend of the consciousness of my own need with indeed, coupled to the assurance that that need was met. But it was only met because the Savior of ours is so great. And because it took this Savior, it tells you something about us. You're far more wicked than you ever dreamed. And you're far more loved than you ever dared hope. Those two things must be married, gang. But I'm telling you, we have not yet seen how ravaged we are by sin. Um, that's the second lesson. The greatness of this gospel tells you a lot about the condition of our own hearts. That's all I'm saying. Um, but please don't ever divorce the greatness of this gospel from the ravages of sin in our own soul. But don't ever divorce the ravages of sin from the greatness of this gospel. This gospel tells you something about just how far sin has extended its tentacles. Do you remember, did you see Spider-Man the last one when he turns into the black suit and that that thing, this this plastic thing that kind of runs up in all of his body and covers all of his head, you know, and this just kind of creeps all over him. To me, that's a great picture of what sin has done. You know. But the good news is <laughs> there is a great Savior. But don't forget that the greatness of that tells you something about our condition. Here's the third lesson. Um, This is one of my personal frustrations. How can any Christian say, I don't care about doctrine? Um, I mean, there is a mindless Christianity out there that... um, um, I mean, books have been written. John Stott wrote a book entitled Your Mind Matters. Because Christianity, there, there, there's a, there's a br- brand of Christianity out there that says, you know, no creed but Christ. I don't want to hear any of this doctrine. It's just advice about it. I don't know, I don't care anything about it. How can any Christian say something so horribly naive as, as, as a statement like that? Tell me. What do you do with your mind? Do you, do you never ask any questions? D- does nothing ever confound you? Um, how do you answer the cults when they knock at your door, at, at your front door? How do you obey 1 Peter 3.15 that says, Be ready to give an answer of the, of the hope that lies within you. Ladies and gentlemen, God has gone to great extremes to give us a book that is full of doctrine. And that's not important to you?
how could that not be important to you? It's, it must be. Because as I said, as we introduce this text, Paul begins by saying, if we confess, the, the place that we start in Christianity is not with how we feel and not with what we do. It starts with what we believe. I don't want doctrine. All I want is Jesus. Well, tell me, who is Jesus? And immediately, we're in a doctrinal discussion. How can any Christian say that it's not important to you? Oh, yes, it is. It's of vital importance. It's of utmost importance. Um, very frankly, not simply to save your soul, that too, but just sorting out life, ladies and gentlemen, because it is truth that helps you integrate with reality. And the more truth that is at the base of your life, the more life works because it matches what the true condition of things are. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is of utmost importance. Here's my last one. In terms of... My last lesson, my fourth lesson. In terms of content... I think you should notice what Paul doesn't include. Um, Not one word about baptism in here. Not one word. Not one hint. Not one smidgen of baptism found in this definition of saving faith. You know, that's what the Judaizers did in Galatians chapter, well, in, in Galatia. That's what Paul is treating in the whole book of Galatians. That whole book of Galatians is treating the idea that somebody is trying to add something to the gospel. And what they were trying to add in, in Galatia was circumcision. That's not in here either. Not a hint. Not a hint. Um, secondly, there is no mention of the Pope as the vicar of Christ or as Mary as the co-redemptrix or that you must give yourself to the church, all of which are Roman Catholic ideas. Not a hint of that. Not a hint of any of that. Another thing that you'll not find anything about, for my Reformed brethren, no mention of the sovereignty of God, nothing in there about election, nothing in there about uh, adoption, nothing in there. By the way, those of you who are in my intensive, nothing in there about creation. That is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be a creationist. Nothing in there about that. That's, that's all somehow left out by Paul. 
who writes, as you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, and I was going to do this, but I figured I didn't have time and I was right, I don't have time. But there's no mention in here about church membership. Gang, if you went to our new members class, you know, I've got that little a little DVD, uh, it's a DVD now. Um, Brent made it into a DVD where, where the, I'm on that panel. If you want to, if you remember, if you're in the numerous class, you remember this. Um, there's this panel and the question comes up, um, do I have to be a member of a church to go to heaven? And a man on the panel says, yes. And very frankly, the only two people who said no were me and James Hamill, who was the retired, he's in glory now, of, of First Assembly. The, the Kojic pastor said you gotta be a member of the church. The Church of Christ pastor said you gotta, he was the one doing all the talking. Now the, the Jewish rabbi didn't comment, and the Roman Catholic priest didn't comment. But everybody else was saying you gotta be a member of a church if you're gonna go to heaven. I don't see that anywhere in there. Not the first hint of something like that. Um, no call to come join the church. Now, guys, I'm a churchman. I think you ought to join this church. Um, I, you know, I, I think you went to the new members class and you're just sitting out there and not doing anything. I, I don't think that's a good thing for you. I, I think it's kind of scary because you've got to commit yourself to something and you would just as soon not commit yourself to something so that you can run if you want to. That's a real problem in your soul. And I think you ought to get yourself on a stick. And I think you, if you, if you, you ought to, if this is where God led you, then join it. But what I'm declaring is, you know, to join this place to go to heaven. That's not a part of the content of the saving faith. No, no, ladies and gentlemen. Christianity can be summarized by simply talking about one person and his work. That's it. And there are countless millions saying, Well, you you gotta be baptized too now. Well, I wish you and baptism's important. And if you haven't been baptized, you ought to be baptized. But baptism is not a a part of the content of saving faith, ladies and gentlemen. Christianity is a person and his work. That's it. Let's quit. Our Father, I pray that you will um, bless what's been said accurately and that you will... Erase from the memory of those who listen that which was said inaccurately. If, if something has been mangled here tonight, Lord, I pray that nobody will ever remember it. But if that uh, text has been handled with some measure of faithfulness, I pray that you will show us the beauty of this gospel of ours, that it is indeed, that Jesus indeed is the hope of the world. We pray, of course, in his name. Amen. Thanks and good night.